This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Witness Docs from Stitcher. We were all taken in, you know, into a big meeting and, and talked to about the Johnson baby powder cases that we were going to start hearing about. Because they assumed that people in the general public were going to start calling in and saying, hey, is your product safe? You know, I'm hearing that all these women are getting cancer. Should we be using your product? Should we be using your product? Is it safe? That is the question at the heart of this series. And the people responsible for answering it work for Johnson & Johnson and the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA. Now, we know what Jane Jay has to say about it. Talc is pure. Talc is safe. Despite decades of tests finding some asbestos fibers in their product. So if Jane Jay's answers are hard to trust... Who do we look to? The FDA is supposed to protect us. But as we'll see today, they've struggled to give us a consistent answer as well. And they don't always have the power to act. I'm Natasha Del Toro, and this is Verified. Today, we're going to look at what the FDA can and can't do when regulating cosmetic products. We'll look at what happens when women try to raise their hands and say, I think this talcum powder could be making me sick. We'll walk through what happens when a researcher raises his hand and says, hey, I found asbestos in these products on store shelves. And then we'll look at why raising those hands doesn't trigger the response from the FDA that you'd hope. Now, I don't want you to get overwhelmed. There are some wonky details here. They're what make up the safety net. And one important piece of that net is meant to be when someone has a complaint about a product, if they think the product has harmed them, that the complaint is heard. But that may not always be the case. In 2016, Karen Bowler worked for a company called Alta Resources. G&J hired them to manage its customer service inquiries. When someone called or emailed or reached out on social media about a J&J product, Karen was part of the team who responded to their questions or complaints. Following the publicity surrounding Jackie Fox's $72 million verdict, more and more women were calling in about talc. And this is how Karen says she was told to respond. We're to tell these consumers that 
you know, be empathetic to their cause and to their plight with cancer, but to tell them that Johnson & Johnson is perfectly safe. They do not have, you know, asbestos in their products. They do not have carcinogens in their products, and their products are safe to use. Karen says that when a woman told Jane Jay she believed baby powder made her sick, the customer team took down all her information and wrote up something called an adverse event report. These reports are meant to document every issue, from a simple rash to cancer. Karen's job was to review records and make sure that every complaint was captured accurately. If a consumer called on Monday, that was documented obviously on that Monday and then went at midnight to the Johnson & Johnson partner. And then they had 24 hours to look at that and get back to me to tell me to look at a certain uh, record that was made. I could have anywhere between 10 to 100 um, requests from Johnson & Johnson partners during just that day to look at different adverse events that were documented the prior day. Consumers' concerns or complaints were logged by Karen's company and then sent to J&J's Office of Consumer Medical Safety. Someone there would look the complaints over, and on some they'd send back changes. They were pretty benign requests, mostly errors. Um, there There was no talk of Johnson's baby powder being problematic in any way. Karen believed J&J when it assured her that baby powder was perfectly safe. She had used baby powder her whole life. It's as American as baseball, hot dogs, apple pie, and Chevrolet. I mean, everybody uses baby powder. I used it on my daughter. My mom said she used it on all four of us girls. So Karen felt confident that there was nothing to worry about. I was having a a happy hour with two of my sisters um, on a Friday night, and we were drinking a bottle of wine, and one of my sisters said to me, Hey, Karen, I was going to ask you, I use Johnson's baby powder. Should I stop? And I said, oh, my goodness, no, absolutely not. It is safe. You know, it's a litigious society, unfortunately. And you know what? We've been assured that this product is safe. And she was like, okay, great. That was on a Friday. By Monday, she wasn't so sure. I got a request to remove a medical history because the woman's cancer that she was reporting was due to her product use and it was written that way in the in that verbiage and i feel it now it's my heart sunk i thought oh my god karen didn't mind making small changes to fix mistakes but this this felt wrong we were asked to remove things that totally altered the meaning. We were asked to remove things from a medical history, remove cervical cancer from the patient's medical history. We were removing very important pieces of these people's medical history. I was very, um, very opposed to it from the beginning. I did it. I did do it, though. A few weeks later, Karen says the same office at J&J asked her to change another record. And she says as more women called to complain about talc, her team was asked to make more and more changes. 
Karen wanted to know what was going on. So she called Johnson and Johnson to ask, why was she being told to change records? Because I wanted to know what's the deal. You're telling us to tell these consumers that call that, hey, everything's fine, keep using the product, but yet I'm getting requests from the Office of Consumer Medical Safety telling me to remove all these things from these people's medical records because their product caused their cancer. She finally got through to a company lawyer handling talc lawsuits. She did ask me what what was my purpose in this and what I wanted. And I believe I told her I, I, wanted, I want the truth. I don't want anything. I just want the truth. I'm, I, am I lying to all these people? She said the woman was nice. She was helpful. Took down her information and her concerns and promised to get back to her. But after that conversation, Karen says she didn't hear from the lawyer again. She wasn't sure what to do next and started asking around for legal advice. It's not like I was looking to tell on Johnson & Johnson. Um, I just wanted to know if what I was doing was A, legal, and and B, moral. Eventually, she connected with Alan Smith, who had just wrapped up Jackie Fox's case. He was involved in a new case in Missouri, and he asked her if she would tell her story in court. So, in October 2016... Karen did something she never imagined she would do. She traveled to Missouri to testify under oath. Have you had calls regarding consumer complaints regarding ovarian cancer and the use of baby powder? Yes. Thousands? Well, yes. Okay, that's what I thought. The jury's heard. Has Johnson & Johnson ever asked you to change the diagnosis of any of those complaint reforms? I've been asked to alter medical histories, yes. I want these 12 jurors to hear this. This is very important. They have asked you to alter records of consumers calling in about their diagnosis. Yes. You've personally been requested to impact Correct. Johnson & Johnson lawyers didn't deny that Karen was asked to make changes to reports, but downplayed their significance. They walked Karen through a sample change, one they said was meant to clarify the customer's product use and medical history after a doctor reviewed her information. They said the report still reflected that the patient had cervical cancer. It even said, quote, company causality was assessed as possible. And the changes didn't impact how the report was classified. In other words, these were minor changes. No big deal. After her testimony, Karen went back to work. Three weeks later, her company's legal department called her into a meeting and asked why she had testified. I really, I think, was Miss J&J. Teamwork makes the dream work kind of thing, you know. I I embraced it, and I think that's that's pretty much how I was. And that's why I do think that when they found out about what I did, I think they were floored that it was me. I think they could have seen it coming from other people. In fact, I think they might have even said that to me. But um, for it to have been me, yeah, surprising, yeah. Karen was put on paid leave, and then about a month later she was fired. The company said it was letting her go because of her testimony. 
and it accused her of sharing confidential customer information. It was a big price to pay. Karen said she loved her job, but she doesn't regret testifying. It would have been wrong of me to keep my mouth shut. So because I did it, the only way that I could make it right in my mind for continuing to do it was to speak up about it. Karen's testimony didn't go very far, though. It wasn't really picked up by the media at the time. And it's been hard to figure out what, if any, impact these changes may have had. Karen wasn't asked under oath about how many records she changed. She told us that she thought she personally made significant changes to roughly 150 records over about five months. But we weren't able to verify that number or talk to anyone else that she worked with. We still don't know if these changes affected whether these reports were sent to the FDA or how the FDA reviewed them. The agency wouldn't comment on what Karen told us. But if these reports did make it to the FDA, it turns out their system for weighing public complaints is kind of broken. A group of researchers analyzed adverse event reports from 2004 to 2017 and found that the FDA got almost 4,500 reports about a possible cancer connection to talc cosmetics. But for almost all of those complaints, the name of the product and the company that makes it are blacked out. They're redacted before the reports are made public. The few hundred reports that weren't redacted were for ovarian cancer related to talc use. Another big problem with this system is that it's completely voluntary for cosmetics. Companies like J&J aren't required to collect or submit these adverse reports. The FDA has only whatever information the companies choose to share or reports that are filed directly to the agency. And because of that, The FDA knows it's only seeing the tip of the iceberg when it comes to products that might be harming people. A spokesperson told us that they have no way of knowing the extent of any adverse events that are reported. And perhaps the biggest problem may be very few people even know that they can report problems to the FDA in the first place. Kind of makes you wonder, how useful is a system that not a lot of people know about that doesn't actually track all the problems, and most of the time doesn't even list the name of the product in question. Even the FDA admits the system's not working like it could. After the break, what happens when a researcher finds asbestos in makeup for kids? What does the FDA do then? And what more could it do? Stay with us. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. 
At sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at sax.com. Our research has shown that if you have 100 products, talc products, it's likely that uh, a dozen of them are going to have some level of asbestos fibers in them. That's Sean Fitzgerald. He's a geologist and the director of research for the Scientific Analytical Institute in North Carolina. The lab does environmental testing, including looking for asbestos and talc. Back in 2017, Fitzgerald was hired to test some talc-based makeup that was marketed to little kids by a company called Claire's. There was even a heart-shaped compact with glitter on the outside. Inside, it had palettes of eyeshadows shaped like flowers or butterflies. Each petal or wing was a different color. But when Fitzgerald tested the makeup, he found some alarming results. There was asbestos in at least one color of every palette. And one kit had asbestos in four separate powders on the palette. I got friends all over the country to send me Claire's samples, and I found asbestos from Sea to Shining Sea. All right? That went out, hit the popular press, CNN, NBC, ABC, picked up the story. It ran, and that was... Christmas 2017. The chain Claire's is pulling some of its makeup from store shelves over concerns it contains asbestos. A Rhode Island mother who works at a law firm specializing in asbestos cases decided to have the makeup she bought her daughter tested. It turns out it came back positive. The samples Fitzgerald had tested came from 10 different Claire's locations. And Claire's was not very happy to hear about his results. And they said, okay, uh, we're not going to concede that there's asbestos in our products, but we're going to go ahead and pull the exact lots off the market that were found to contain these, these alleged asbestos fibers. So Claire's did agree to pull eight makeup kits off store shelves in December 2017, but it also disputed the results of the tests. The FDA decided to do its own tests of Claire's makeup, and just over a year later, announced that it too found asbestos in three different products. The FDA asked Claire's to recall the kits, but Claire's initially refused, which is honestly pretty extraordinary. And the decision of whether to recall those makeup kits for kids that the FDA believed had asbestos in them? That decision was actually Claire's to make. I mean, I know it sounds bizarre, but the FDA, it doesn't have the authority to force a cosmetics company to recall products that it thinks could hurt people. They can pressure companies, yes, suggest, sure, but they can't force a recall. For the cosmetics industry, recalls are voluntary just like submitting adverse event reports to the FDA. 
Claire's did eventually wind up recalling three products. But it was a pretty glaring reminder of the limitations of an agency that we expect to keep us safe. Stunning, actually, how little power they have. Good morning. The subcommittee will come to order. This hearing is entitled Examining the Public Health Risks of Carcinogens in Consumer Products. Today, our focus is on a group of widely used personal care consumer products that contain talc, a mineral that manufacturers put in baby powder for infants, makeup for teenage girls, and personal care products for people of all ages. Just a week after the FDA announced it had found asbestos in Claire's makeup, a House Oversight Subcommittee held a hearing calling for stronger regulation of cosmetics. This is Congressman Raja Krishnamurthy, a Democrat from Illinois. FDA authority generally remains weak. In fact, product recalls, mandatory risk labeling, and adverse event reports are just a few of the processes in which compliance with FDA guidelines is entirely voluntary for the cosmetics industry. Today's hearing is just our first step in protecting consumers from potentially carcinogenic products. The American people deserve nothing less. Among the witnesses at the hearing were a scientist who had researched talc and asbestos, an environmental health expert, as well as people who had been impacted by cancer, possibly due to talc use. They had come to Washington, D.C. to share their stories. And one of those people was Marvin Salter. It is a great honor for me to address this subcommittee on behalf of my mother, the late Jacqueline Salter Fox. My mother departed this life on October 6, 2015. Her death came suddenly. At that time, she was doing well. She felt at that point in her battle against ovarian cancer, she was winning. Her exact words were, God wasn't done with me yet. But as, as we came to learn, like many women who suffer from this deadly disease, victories can be short-lived and celebrations are often cut short. Her disease reoccurred with the vengeance. My mom lost that fight. Seated behind Marvin as he spoke were a dozen women and men who had traveled from Texas and California and Illinois to be at the hearing. Some were very sick with ovarian cancer. Others came to represent their mothers their wives, or their sisters who had died from ovarian cancer. Marvin wanted to make it very clear who he thought was to blame for all of this. Johnson and Johnson. They lied to us all. They knew the cancer risks associated with their products but chose to cover it up instead. They protected their products and profits while putting innocent lives at risk. I ask that this body use whatever power in its disposal to assist in bringing about justice for my mother and for all women and family who, are, who have been adversely affected by ovarian cancer caused by Johnson & Johnson baby powder. Thank you. After he was done testifying, Congresswoman Ayanna Presley, a Democrat from Massachusetts, asked him a few more questions. Mr. Salter, were there any warning labels placed on any of the talk products your mother used, warning of the increased risk of ovarian cancer? No, not... Not one single one. Um, obviously, we use this, you know, from generation from generation. Uh, my grandmother, my grandmother's grandmother, my mom. So um, 
obviously in the African-American community, it's a staple for um, usage for hygienic um, uh, freshness. And not one single time has there been any label that stated or uh, highlighted the risk of using this product whatsoever. Johnson & Johnson was invited but didn't send anyone to testify. It criticized the meeting for being one-sided in the choice of witnesses because they were connected to talc trials. But it said the company did support the idea of modernizing the FDA's authority over cosmetics. Over the years, there have been dozens of bills introduced in Congress that sought to give the FDA some real power to regulate cosmetics. There's even one pending right now. But none of these bills have passed. But there is something the FDA could do right now related to talc. No new legislation needed. In an earlier episode, we talked about how the FDA had looked into setting a standard for testing talc for asbestos way back in the 1970s, but it never moved forward with the idea. An FDA spokesperson told us that the agency backed off because it heard from industry that its proposed method would be too costly, too complicated. Instead, it let industry regulate itself, and it accepted a test method favored by J&J and the industry group, the CTFA. We actually have internal J&J memos from the 70s where people at the company and the industry association discuss wanting to get their standard in place before a more sensitive method was proposed by the FDA. Today, just as it's been for decades, the industry testing standard is something called X-ray diffraction, or XRD for short. And XRD... It has some benefits. Here's geologist Sean Fitzgerald again. If you want to know whether uh, thousands of bags of of talc that are coming out of your mine that and you've been hired by the mining company to determine, you know, is it safe or not, you want to use a method that can see through a lot. You want to run it through these. You want to run an X-ray through it and stream it through the X-ray, stream and stream and stream it. Picture big piles of talc on a conveyor belt moving through an x-ray machine. It's very efficient, and you can test lots of talc relatively quickly. But that speed, that volume, it comes with a trade-off. Sensitivity. Unfortunately, x-ray diffraction will only detect the asbestos fibers in the talc if they're somewhere around a percent or better, of the whole talc. That might not sound like a lot, 1%. But again, when we're talking about asbestos, it is. According to OSHA, the federal agency that oversees worker safety, there is no safe level of asbestos exposure. Fitzgerald was pacing around his house the whole time that we were talking, and he happened to be in his kitchen at this point in the interview. So he pointed to a five-pound bag of flour that was sitting on his counter, and he said, imagine that's talc. If 1% of that bag was asbestos fibers, it would be the equivalent of about four aspirin tablets. And those four aspirin, we could actually have billions of individual asbestos fibers that are loose in the powder. 
So this whole idea of of us not needing to worry about a concentration of only one percent is ludicrous. Now, there are other, more sensitive methods that can detect smaller amounts of asbestos. Instead of x-rays, these tests use microscopes. If you want to make sure that there's no fibers that could get into your lungs when you breathe it and potentially cause cancer in your lungs, then you need to look as close as possible. So the electron microscope, because it has the shortest wavelength and because it has the most powerful type of microscopy, is the best tool to make sure you don't have those. But you have to look at a very small sample. You have to pay some wonk like me to spend hours at the microscope looking through it with a fine-tooth comb. Better at finding asbestos, but when you imagine the amount of talc that you can test on a microscope versus that conveyor belt through an x-ray machine, you see the problem. Fitzgerald says the key to keeping asbestos out of talc is to do a better job screening it as it comes out of the ground. But the best way to do that? He says there's no clear answer right now. No broad consensus. Right now, in this industry, we are in crisis because our former, former paradigm, using antiquated methodologies, is no longer adequate assurance that the talc and talcum-based products that we're using today aren't contaminated with asbestos. And when he says industry, he means the FDA, too. They're trying to figure out the right standard as well. The FDA held meetings back in February to discuss new testing standards. That's why they're holding these meetings. That's why they're inviting people, even people like me, uh, to come to Washington, D.C., to talk with each other, to have these forums to try to address the problem because they recognize we're in crisis and we need to shift our paradigm. So once again, there's talk about setting new standards, just like the FDA did back in the 1970s. But for now, it's just talk. I mean, the agency hasn't figured anything out yet. Now, there is something else the FDA could do to regulate talc. It could mandate a warning on talc packaging or ban it altogether. But the FDA has chosen not to. The agencies decided that there just isn't strong enough evidence that talc causes cancer. In 2014, the FDA called the growing body of evidence supporting a possible link between genital talc use and ovarian cancer, quote, difficult to dismiss. But then it said that it wasn't enough for the FDA to require a warning. And when I hear that, I can see where the FDA is coming from. They want conclusive science. But I also think back to the argument that we've mentioned before, that waiting for conclusive science, especially when we're talking about cancer risks, takes too long and costs lives. The agency told us it's going to continue to test talc products for asbestos, and it'll issue safety alerts or work with manufacturers to recall products when needed. So that's the FDA's strategy. Keep talc on store shelves and try to make sure that if the talc has asbestos, it gets pulled off those shelves. And fingers crossed that the company agrees.
But regulators aren't the only ones who can hold companies to account. At the end of 2018, public pressure on J&J really started to build. Right now, there are some major concerns over the safety of an item a lot of us have in our bathrooms right now and actually use on our kids a lot. Yeah, a new report claims Johnson & Johnson knew for decades about asbestos in baby powder and cancer risks associated with it. Reuters is reporting that Johnson & Johnson knew for decades that its raw talc and finished powder sometimes tested positive for small traces of asbestos. The investigation says that J&J... Reuters published a big investigative story with the headline, Johnson & Johnson knew for decades that asbestos lurked in its baby powder. Now, remember all those internal memos, letters, and reports that we've been telling you about and quoting from in this podcast? Reuters laid out those memos in great detail, showing how the company kept information from the public about asbestos and its talc products. And the same day, the New York Times published an investigation of its own. It was a crisis for Johnson & Johnson. And the company's response only increased the scrutiny it was facing. Plaintiffs may call their next witness. Thank you, Your Honor. At this time, plaintiffs call uh, the CEO of Johnson & Johnson, Alex Horstman. Please place your left hand on the Bible. Raise your right hand. State your name for the court. Spell your last name, please. Alex Gorski, G-O-R-S-K-Y. That's next time on Verified. I'm Natasha Del Toro. Dust Up, our second season of Verified, is reported by Sandra Bartlett and Jim Morris. It's written and produced by me, Natasha Del Toro, Sandra Bartlett, Tracy Samuelson, Suzanne Reber, and senior producer Dan Bloom. Additional production by Grant Hill and Claire Rawlinson. Our editors are Peter Clowney, Tracy Samuelson, and Ellen Weiss. Engineering by Casey Holford and Dan Bloom. Our theme and original music are by Allison Leighton Brown. Special thanks to the many women and men who spoke with us on and off the microphone about this story which spans decades. Verified is created by Suzanne Reber and executive produced by Suzanne Reber, Ellen Weiss, Peter Clowney, and Chris Bannon. The show is produced by the Scripps Washington Bureau in collaboration with Witness Docs, a Stitcher network. If you want to listen to early releases of our Verified episodes, sign up for Stitcher Premium at stitcherpremium.com. You can use promo code WITNESS for one month free. There's so much for you to discover about this story and what's coming up on the show. You can find us on Twitter at Verpod and at VerifiedPod on Instagram and Facebook. And if you have a story to tell us, send us a voicemail or an email to VerifiedPod at Stitcher.com. If you like the show and believe in this kind of storytelling, please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It'll help more people discover Verified. Thanks for listening.